1: Well, hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Today, we're going to preview a story of an entrepreneur who has uh, uh, opened a new chapter in his life, so to speak, and uh, done a, a startup of a of a tech-based company but uh i'm sure there's a backstory that will uh, that led, led up to this and we'll get him to describe that his name is peter wasmer peter welcome to the show thanks doug i really appreciate being here yeah but, so before, before to... we before we get into the story of the the, the business you're doing now give, give us a little bit of that backstory, the journey you've been on and kind of experiences you've had that have led you up to this place where you are in this particular chapter of life?
0: Sure. Uh, well, my first uh, real long-term career was in equipment leasing. And um, and we used to lease all different types of equipment to Fortune 500s, uh, whether it was computer systems or forklifts or machine tools. Um, we would have, a, we had a relationship. We established a um uh, a good sound uh, trust basis, and we would have an opportunity to uh, help them acquire equipment through operating leases. And uh, in that company, we, we built that up to, I think it was about uh, $650 million in a portfolio size, and uh, we were uh, fortunate to sell it in December of 2007. Um, I continued on with that company for a couple more years and then parted ways. Uh, In about 2009 and in 2010, after having played around with uh, building several different uh, Facebook apps and things like that, that was um, uh, formative at the time, um, I was approached by some investment bankers who wanted to put together a leasing program for Harley Davidson motorcycles (laughs) and <clears throat> and uh, and it was really intriguing for a number of reasons. I, I loved Harleys. Uh, I didn't really know that much about them. Um, and I, I certainly understood leases. And uh, our perspective on how leases operated uh, worked quite well when it came to looking at Harley-Davidson's, as it turns up, because they hold their value very, very well. And um, so in 2011, we started up Chrome Capital and uh, put together a system that nobody else in the automotive world uh has or since uh since then has put together which included being able to automate for any dealer across the country that signed up with our platform the ability to create a lease for any asset that they had on their floor and at the time we were specifically focused on harley davidson motorcycles. so um a dealer just simply these dealers look they they didn't know anything about leasing right they they only knew about the motorcycle and they they would uh, meet a, a fella or a gal who wanted that motorcycle and their job was to put the two together and put them on the seat and get them out the door and um the mandate for us was look if you're going to build the system it needs to be fast and it needs to happen right away so we we automated All kinds of things that were manual at the time. Uh, When we first came into the market, if you can imagine this, people were still handwriting applications and faxing them to a funding company, uh, waiting for a response, which could take 24, 48, 72 hours for somebody to actually process that. And then they would call the person up and hope to get them back in the door to get them on the bike. Well, The challenge with motorcycles uh, is that uh, 80% of the time, somebody walks out the door after having looked at a motorcycle and identified, yeah, that looks cool, they never come back. So when they're in the store and they identify that, we had to build a system where they could immediately effectuate that passion, that desire, and give them the yes and put them on the bike and get them out the door. So our our process uh, did that through a series of systems which were built on experience. You know, our, our, our systems at uh, the equipment leasing business were, uh, I think a nice way to put it would be um, separate and uh, (laughs) non-conversational. So none, we had the same information that had to go into five different systems in order to manage this portfolio. uh, And, and each needed a team of people to manage it. So So uh, very expensive uh, and not really efficient at all. So when it came time for Chrome Capital, my mandate was, look, I want one system where all of the information goes in and um, that information is input by the dealer and the rider. And we look at it, we process a a response immediately. And then if it's a yes, we can print out, we can deliver documents uh, immediately to the uh, to the rider and the dealer to sign and they can get the. Get the deal done. So we actually got that uh, that process down to a point where you know we were we were on the uh, I won't say the the leading edge, but we were an early adopter, if you will, of uh, DocuSign. So we got to a point where any we employed what we called uh, TGM, third grade mentality, in the way that we <laughs> in the way that we built our systems. Right. So anybody who looked at it could understand what needed to be input. They would push a button, get a result, and they could move on from there. And so uh, we got to a point where somebody could uh, get, a, get, get a yes on their credit decision, say yes to a certain lease structure for two, three, or four years, uh, and uh, within, within minutes, actually be able to sign the document. So it was a very, very fast system and worked well. Uh, that's, that's background on really how we got to where we are. Uh, today it was formative from a number of different perspectives, which was, A, I didn't know anything about Harley-Davidson's or automotive when I got into it. So I looked at it from a consumer's perspective. What would it, how would this experience need to look if I were a customer walking into a dealership and I said, geez, I like that bike. How long, what's that process going to look like? And what are my options and so we looked at it through that lens and built uh, uh, built a, a business-based app uh, that allowed any dealer across the country to uh, to put those leases together
1: very neat very neat yeah so so with the accumulation of that experience uh, talk now about the venture you're into and the market you're trying to serve there right
0: so um, I'll take one half a step back and and identify that the uh, Harley Davidson leasing platform uh, was the genesis of that was a desire by dealers to have alternative funding uh, options for their customers. So it was a market based desire that was the genesis of that business, and that's the same thing that's happened with uh, Pro Valet. We uh, I originally came at this concept from a consumer's perspective, having a pool service, having a pool and having pool service. I was not, uh, overly pleased with how things operated. I, I didn't know what was happening when somebody showed up and the straw that broke the camel's back was when we had installed some new lights in the pool. And I went out there at 10 o'clock at night and, um, and, uh, uh the light was off and I thought, well, Shoot, that thing's gone out already. It's, it's not that old. And I went through the process of communicating with uh, voicemail and never heard anything back. And about 30 days later, went back out by the pool at 10 o'clock at night and the light was on. I thought, well, that's cool. It went back on all by itself. Well, no, it didn't. I got a bill in the mail the next day. So I thought there's got to be a better way to manage this relationship. I like these guys. They're good guys. I like them and trust them, but there's got to be a better way. Um, so we started thinking about what does it look like to have that relationship? And again, like leasing, there's a, it's a, it's a triangulated relationship where you have a service business, you have somebody who delivers that service for them in the field, and then you have the, 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 the consumer. Um, so I went to my pool service business and I told them about my experience and they said, well, you know, they, they really needed something like what we were talking about. And so again, this was a market-based, um, desire to have what we've been able to put together. And we've continued to evolve it and iterate on it based upon more market uh, input. And so right now we have a platform that, although we originally focused it on pool service businesses, uh, we did build it agnostically, and it works extremely well for any regular interval service business. And that was the terminology I came up with when I was looking at service businesses as a whole. It dawned on me that there are really two types. There is an appointment-driven business, which is uh, one that addresses an acute problem. You know, your hot water heater blows up, you have to call the plumber, he comes and fixes it, gives you an invoice, you pay it, you're done. Versus regular interval service businesses, which is where you have an ongoing relationship where they deliver a regular service to you on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly basis. So pool service, lawn care, pest control, um... Any kind of any any one of those regular interval home service business chimney sweep, you know, kind of a long term annual uh, interval, but it's uh, but it's still in that in that mix, and um, so we went about the process of building out this uh, three way uh, three way platform.
1: So uh, with that, as as any. Anybody who's had an idea and inspiration for a business and they've created a startup venture, um, if you don't mind, without maybe sharing any deep, dark secrets, uh, you know, talk a little bit about the journey and and the fits and starts you might have gone through trying to get this thing off the ground and into the market.
0: Okay. Uh, Yeah. Well, we, uh, one of the things I learned in my former uh, experiences in building systems is that it's a really good idea to, uh, okay, number one, you get the input from the marketplace, and then you you craft your own ideas around how you think it needs to look and act. And then you have to invest in building a, a minimally viable product. And uh, the the challenge with that first step is that you're going to spend an extraordinary amount of money and it's not a product that you're going to really be able to bring to market. You're going to bring it to market. You're going to test it, and people go, "That's interesting. That's cool," and they'll give you feedback on it. If you were to uh, take a product at that point and it completely fails, you might have to pivot and figure out what do I do with this thing that I built. But um, so that's the first. That's the first hurdle is you've got to figure out how do I build the basis for this idea as inexpensively as possible. Something I'm not very good at, by the way. I don't know how to not spend a ton of money on these things. Uh, a lot of people out there with a lot of great ideas. Uh, if you know how to code, I can tell you that it saves a tremendous amount of money. I do not know how to code. I know how to hire good people. Uh, and they tend to be kind of expensive. So, um, But the the, the, the the upshot was we took what we had to market um we had people take us up on it and of course it broke and it failed but they liked what we were putting out there and so we ended up going to several um pool shows to uh these 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 uh big uh uh demo shows where all kinds of equipment and people are and what have you and, and uh we got a lot of really good feedback i think the one thing that i remember from the early uh part of the 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 uh, process was people who came up and said, "Geez, you know, it's really cool. I like what you guys are doing. Uh, but those guys over there do that, and and those guys over there do that. And it w- it'd be really cool if you guys could all kind of come together and have one system." So I started asking the question, like, "Well, what is it about that system that you really like? And what is it about that system that you really like?" And and um, and when I started to get consistent feedback from people, I said, "Well, let's we should we should integrate that in with what we're doing." And so uh, and so that's what we've done and and the end result is you know business process automation for a small and medium-sized company just hasn't been done before uh, we have a single lens through which a company can operate their entire business so all of their scheduling all of their dispatch all of their invoicing all of their customer payments and customer communications happen through the one single lens So it's a full CRM. Anything that happens for that one customer is attached to that customer record. So when you look at that customer, you know not only what the bill was and what was paid, but you know every single service that either you delivered or they requested, um, which is another component that we've integrated, which has become uh, quite popular in that uh, much in the same way that I would like to have had some way to communicate with my pool company back at the outset, letting them know that, hey, my light is out. Instead of leaving a, a voicemail in the dark, we've developed a, uh, a component of the homeowner app that allows a customer to push a button, type up a little description and add a video. And when they hit submit on it, it lands at the their service company's dashboard for execution. The guy can actually dispatch it immediately to somebody or schedule it into the future or create an estimate based on on what he sees. He doesn't have to go back out to the house to find out what it is. I mean, we're saving a tremendous amount of time and energy to help people uh, run their service business.
1: Well, and to your point, often these service businesses they are, you know, kind of one man shows it, at the start. It's, um, and I use a phrase, and I mean no disrespect whatsoever. I, I call it chucking a truck. You know that that uh, has an expertise. They are selling to homeowners and and they want to provide good service. And Mm -hmm. there's no question about their commitment to the market, but process to get their uh, systems to manage and balance things and for the for those guys and and gals that are owners of those businesses a lot of it is done with sticky notes on a computer somewhere in a in a in an office or a, a service center kind of building message comes in overnight or a phone call comes in you you jot a note on a sticky pad and you hope that you can remember where you put it and how you want to schedule it and Sometimes they get lost and forgotten, and the homeowner is sitting there going, "I called you on Monday, and here mm-hmm. it is Monday week, and I haven't heard from you. What's going on?" And oh my gosh, yeah. I'm sorry. Blah blah blah. So, we're, 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 I'm sorry. good. Well, so my point is, you're right. I think with the the amazing technology that's available now, you can have that triangulated opportunity to for the homeowner to raise their hand and say, "I need service." And and to elaborate on it, even by maybe taking a picture or a video of the problem, Mm -hmm. and then letting the service dispatch person triage right there and say, some of the businesses that are a little larger, you know, they've got, I'm, I'm thinking of like electricians and plumbers, they've got master electricians, master plumbers, well, maybe you don't need to send that guy, you know, maybe you just need to send somebody with the right wrench to tighten the connection and everything will be <laughs> okay right. but um you don't know that until you've had a look at it and you know trying to streamline all that and systematize it is a is a big challenge for those business owners it is and one
0: of the uh what we found is that that where you where you
1: clearly illustrated
0: exactly how life starts in a service business and where we find our market uh, really getting traction is where that those same practices and policies have uh, stayed in place. The sticky note policy, right, has stayed in place and they have quadrupled their business. They now have they now have five, eight, 10, 15 techs in the field um, and they still have uh, they're still sh- they're shouting across the office to one person or another. Uh, they're they're trying to communicate in and amongst themselves. Uh, none of it is tied to the customer, <laughs> and they're trying to operate. And so it's where that confusion and where that uh, conflation of um, uh, data comes that we're finding uh, some traction for Pro Valley because people have said, you know, we need something different. And uh, the good news is that they typically have a fairly good list of their customers. Uh, and the and that's really where we just need to start with anybody. It's just we need to get a good list of the customers. We help them clean it up, upload it, and then we will actually rebuild all of their workflows that are working for them through our system. And And now it's automated. Now you don't have to remember things. You can just simply manage it uh, managing their scheduling is now it's not a matter of moving a piece of paper from one book to another and hoping that, uh, Billy, the tech got that. It's just simply click and drag and move the job to Billy. And when he opens up his phone, boom, there it is. So, um, just, just creating this environment where, uh, we're obviating a lot of the, uh, consternation that seems to happen. The friction, I guess, is a better word for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and and to that point, creating efficiencies in that business is the challenge for the owners of those service businesses because the old model that has existed for decades is the notion of all the techs, you know, drive into the office to, to get their job orders for the day. Mm-hmm. And then and then they dispatch from the office and maybe they get to drive the company truck home or not. You know, that's another wild card. But the point being, there's a lot of downtime of just moving around, getting into the office, maybe getting supplies and materials, and then heading back out to the field. And then having those jobs uh, lined up in a way that might not be very efficient from an overall scheduling standpoint. I mean, if you're... If your business has a footprint of a, I'll say twenty-five mile radius from your office, th- there's still a lot of downtime that could be inadvertently or accidentally created by just the way you structure your dispatch. That's
0: correct. Yeah, we we uh, one of the so I'm a picture person, and one of the pictures that we like to present people uh, once we have their data loaded. Is we can show them where all of their customers are on a map, um, and then we can show them separately what the routes look like. And if you have, you know, two jobs on the east side of town and six jobs on the west side of town, and you might think that, well, okay, that's on Monday, and on Tuesday, it's just the polar opposite. Well, maybe you need to rearrange so that Tuesday's out east and Wednesday's out west. I, I, I don't pretend to be a logistics expert, but we just simply paint the picture for them to be able to make those changes. Um, and I think, you know, uh, the fact that the the technicians uh, who use our app, they're, they're GPS tracked. So um, not only can you see where they are on a map, uh, but when they check into a job, they're, they timestamp and location stamp. So there's some accountability there. But each one of them starts the day with a route optimized series of jobs. So a uh, good point about the fact that some some guys may take the truck home, some guys may end up uh, starting at the office with the truck. It, wherever they start their day, their list of jobs will automatically be route optimized, which they can of course override, you know, they may have a standing order for Mrs. Johnson at 10 o'clock on Tuesdays and they can click and drag and move her to that s- slot and and be done with it. But um, anyways, it's, it's a, it's been an interesting process to watch how we can help people improve their, uh, improve their day. And um, again, it's what I do find one of the uh, challenges for us is helping people see uh, the value in something that's different than something that they've created over time. So, we're not in a position to tell people at all ever how to run their business. We just simply give them the software and they tell the software how they want to run the business, and that's and that works great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you raise a good point and kind of in what I'll call the legacy of ownership, you know, and and this is true just about in any entrepreneurial venture, it doesn't have to be a service business. The owner-founder starts the company with a vision of something, you know, some service, some product, some solution that they're bringing to the market. And then they typically evolve their operating systems around that delivery, whatever it is. And sometimes, oftentimes, those systems are not very sophisticated. It's it's a bare-bone you know, step one, step two, step three, job done, now I get paid, yippee, you know, and it's mm-hmm. that kind of mindset. And as the company grows, to your point, you know, you, you, you get from the, in a service case, you go from one truck to two, to three, to four, to ten all of those steps and the moving parts now all of a sudden are exponentially more difficult to manage and, and certainly to manage well so that you can build a healthy margin in your business. Because the more time you spend on the road, not on the job, well, that's eating margin because you're paying for people, you're paying for gas in the truck, you're paying for you know all of that downtime. And that, that erodes your your basic operating margin. So the more you can do to streamline those things, tie a, a day of work into a more logical route order where time between job is minimized, distance you travel is minimized, all of that. That's the way you optimize. And in that environment, what I've seen happen is companies can go from one truck doing four jobs a day to maybe six jobs a day and guess what your revenue on if you just think about it as average tickets you just went up 50 percent for the day because you got two more jobs
0: done exactly right uh one of the things that we've been challenged by the market to do is produce a report for them that shows is this customer profitable and people think, oh, it's an easy equation. You know, I I charge them X number of dollars and uh, it takes about a half an hour of my guy's time and I reduce that and the cost of uh, uh maybe the cost of some supplies or something like that. That might be the case. And in your head, you might have a, a general idea, but uh better companies are using data to drive decisions. Um it isn't that the data is good or bad. The, the data the data is what it is, but to actually be able to see the hard data is really important. And so, because uh, because our uh, our technicians are GPS tracked, we can track the amount of time exactly to the point that you just brought up about this gap time. What happens in between? How much time is in between uh, each job, and then how much time do they spend on the job? Those are those are expenses that are not easily calculable unless you have that uh unless you have that uh gps data so we're excited about bringing that that's one of the things that our guys are working on right now to bring to our customers and and um we continue to drive uh towards presenting uh relevant data that people want to see in a way that they just currently don't have insight to it and i'm 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 excited about that part of what business process automation really means to a small business because right now they're just guessing uh, yeah. And the other thing quite candidly that uh, a lot of the companies that we've, we've spoken to, they're, they're happy at the size that they're at, you know, they have a certain size business that feels right to them in terms of uh, number of customers that they can manage, number of uh, employees that they can manage, and they don't really want to grow it uh, much larger. And uh, one of the things that we're, we're aimed at is how do we help somebody extract more out of that bucket of, uh, business. And, uh, and so far we've been quite good at it because when you take out certain manual tasks and you automate them, you, now you have time available and you, when you, uh, increase your, or, or decrease your bill to cash time from 20 plus days down to two, because pro valet payments automates, uh, your payments, you know, now you have your working capital when you want it, you're not spending time chasing money. So, there's a whole series of attributes that we're touching, which I think end up helping somebody put more capital in to their bottom line, in- including by the way, on the payments. Uh, you know, a, lot of, uh, a lot of these smaller businesses are very sensitive to the cost of processing. And uh, when, the, when processing becomes uh, excessive, they would like to figure out a way to, well, I don't really wanna increase my prices per se to cover that cost. Um, I wish there was a different way. Well, with our platform, they can tell the system, "Hey, you know, maybe I can charge my customers a, a convenience fee." And people sit on both sides of that fence. Some people are great with it. Other people would never charge their customers a convenience fee. But if they do charge their customers a convenience fee, they're going to take that percentage that they charge them. They're putting that right back into their their uh, their bottom line. We have a we have a customer who was spending six thousand dollars a month in uh, credit card fees. And with our program, he got it down to 1,000. So $5,000 per month uh, nets him $60,000 a year. Or if you're looking at, you know, your revenue and what kind of a 20% revenue base, it's like adding 300 grand to your your bottom, to your bottom revenue number and pulling $60,000 in profit out of it, by the way, for doing nothing. It just happens automatically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so those are the those are the or, that's the order of magnitude that we're talking about in terms of uh, hard dollars that we're saving saving companies.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, back on your starting point in that the the whole idea of knowing customer profitability that was something I was taught early in my business career. I had joined a, uh, the team of a large regional bank, who was an incredibly well run bank and highly profitable, and one of the parts of the DNA at that bank was a system, a, a giant database that captured all elements of bank operation. We, we knew the unit cost of taking a deposit from a customer or clearing yeah. a check that was in the deposit or, yeah. you know, Um, wire transfers and all of that. We we knew the unit costs and systems fed this database. So a user of our services, there was an associated unit cost of all the support we gave the customer and then we turned around and we gave credit for deposits that they had with us and fees they paid, etc. So we could calculate a very direct customer profitability. And the way the report looked, you, you got a, a view of the prior month, you got year to date, and you got prior year. And and so when you hit the profile button, that was the screen you saw on any customer, any customer relationship. You know, some of our business customers had multi-tiered subsidiary activity. Well, we could roll all that up and, and we could look at... So then, particularly on the commercial side, when a large client came knocking and said, hey, I need financing for a new venture or new project, we could look at all of that and we could make the determination of how deep we were willing to discount our pricing based on the value of the relationship and the relationships that were already profitable. We were very friendly to those customers and for the customers that were more users than contributors, we, you know, we were pretty aggressive in our pricing. Charged accordingly. yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we charged accordingly to try to make up whatever target we wanted. And as a byproduct of that, our bank was able to run off 64 consecutive quarters of earnings growth and and we had and that's you know do the math that's 16 years of quarter over quarter earnings growth as an organization so 16 years takes you through two or three economic cycles you know we, yeah. we all yeah. the markets weren't perfect for us over that period but uh, but we had a method and and we had a way and we had a discipline about knowing that and Take that down to the small business that you're talking about serving. I think a small business owner would be wise to know the same thing and look at a customer. And if, if you've got a customer that's been incredibly loyal and and they call you to troubleshoot something well you just might want to think about making that a freebie just say you know what yeah. i recognize your time with me we're going to i'm going to send a tech out we're going to look at this no charge you know we're, we're going to just in good faith it's a show of our appreciation for the, your loyalty to us and uh you know we're going to pay it forward we're, we're going to come look at your situation do the estimate and all that no charge
0: that's awesome. Yeah. And it's exactly. something
1: it's something little, but in the big scheme of things, it doesn't hurt, you know, the company. And in fact, I would argue it goes quite the opposite. It it lets that faithful customer know that you're paying attention and you care. And percent you, you, you want the relationship to be sustained. So and that's value. one of the
0: things that we we're, we're uh really hard to measure um customer loyalty you know i think one of the things that we're advocating for is avoiding the phone call on monday morning where somebody says hey listen don't bother showing up this week right we want to we want to uh we're done you know and you don't and the the the, the owner has no idea why that's the case there right. hasn't been this there hasn't been a way to communicate uh from the customer side to the service side, in an easy way that that doesn't uh, create friction or some sort of confrontation, because people will avoid confrontation. They'll get all—I mean, you you've seen this in business. People get all kinds of upset, and they won't um, uh, they won't say anything to the offending party. They'll just get they'll pack up their pack up their their toys and leave the sandbox. And yeah. so, instead of doing that, what we're advocating for is, hey, look, you know, pick up the app and give the guy a rating and tell him tell him why you're un- unhappy. It doesn't go out publicly. This is just to him. And so he'll actually get, so in our case where we have uh, the ability to go back and look at a, uh, a service and you go, you know, that one wasn't really quite that good. You can give them a one to five star rating. Um, and if you give them something less than four, it's gonna land on the dashboard as a follow-up item. So if you give some if Mrs. Johnson gives you two stars for some reason, you now get that alert and you can pick up the phone you can call her and say, "Hey, listen, you know you've been a customer to your point for x number of years we love we love our relationship I noticed you gave us two stars. What can we do better now you're retaining now you're now you're really addressing um uh the problem and and understanding what it is, and if you can solve it, obviously you will,
1: yeah, yeah, that's all good, yeah." Well, Peter, we're about up on our time for today. Thank you so much for sitting in and sharing all this great wisdom, great experience. And uh, tell the folks the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in knowing more. I would uh, love
0: for somebody to look me up on LinkedIn. You can look up uh, Pete Wassmer, or you can uh, send me an email at uh, peter at provalet.io.
1: Okay, ProValet.io, that is the service platform we've been talking about, folks. So as always, this information will be in our show notes. So hop down there. And uh, one last time, Pete, thanks thanks for joining. Doug, thank you very much. Really appreciate being with you. You bet. You bet. Well, with that, folks, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and uh, uh, thank you for listening in. I I know your time is very valuable, and I much appreciate your participation uh, joining us in these discussions. As always, I like to remind people, if you're listening on your favorite streaming service, we do have a video version of this over on YouTube, a channel by the same name, Leadership powered by Common Sense, hop over there, take a look at the archive, let us know if we've missed a subject that you are interested in. Uh, Drop me a line uh, through any of the contact points on my website at DougThorpe.com. I would love to hear from you and uh, certainly react to any feedback you've got or ideas that you suggest. But again, with that, we're going to say goodbye, go out there, make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by
0: Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.